Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, today we're going to look at a pretty grim topic because you all know what the world has been going through the last two months, uh, looking at the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we're going to consider war and the divisions that exist among us and why they are there. And so this is, uh, I hope for you, a timely topic, and I hope it will give you perhaps a little more appreciation for, for what God has done in Christ and what God has done for us as humanity. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that as we consider these things today, you will speak to our hearts. You will give us wisdom and understanding. You will give us to have greater patience and perseverance in a world that is filled with evil, that we will be able to rejoice knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. For it is in his name we pray, amen. So the war in Ukraine, you have all seen many of the images. One of the cities that has become very famous in this war is the city of Mariupol. This is a city on the Black Sea, a port city, a very beautiful city up until a few months ago. You look on the screen, you can actually see what Mariupol looked like just before the war. Now, this is what it looks like after months of Russian artillery barrages. And of course, the capital city of Ukraine is Kiev. And Kiev also was a very beautiful city. You can see in this slide a couple of pictures of one of the streets of Kiev and the colorful buildings, children out on the street enjoying themselves, being kids as kids are. And here's a street in Kiev today. And then, of course, we've all heard of the name of Bucha, a place up until a month or so ago none of us had heard of. Bucha, a small suburb of Kiev that was occupied by the Russians and where the Russians committed horrible atrocities, lining people up, tying their hands behind their backs and executing them, putting them in mass graves, committing other kinds of atrocities on the people there. War is truly terrible. The divisions that exist among us are horrible, and when we see the destruction of lives, the destruction of property, the blatant disregard for human decency that comes with war, we are stunned by it. We wonder, why would the Russians do this? Where would this come from that they think this is a good idea? Well, actually, all of this is done in the name of what's called the Russian peace. This is one of the few Russian expressions I know, Ruskimir, which means Russian peace or can also mean Russian world. It is an ideology that goes way, way back into old imperial Russia and the czars, and the idea is they need to expand as an empire. 
they need to take more and more peoples under the control of the Russian Empire so that they can impose peace on everybody and they can have a common prosperity, they can have a common governance, a common language, everyone speaking Russian, and it would just all be wonderful. All they need to do is just bring all these other peoples under control and into the Ruski Mir, or the Russian peace. So we ask ourselves, where do wars come from? Why do we have them? There's a very common answer that we Christians all give, and that is Adam's sin. Adam fell, humanity became estranged from God, we are far from God, we are dead to God, our hearts are cold, we look for life, we look for joy, we look for provision, and we don't have any of these things, and so we become desperate and we commit evil acts. And that is certainly true. These things do arise from the fact that we are a fallen people. However, the Bible actually doesn't refer to Adam's sin all that often, especially in the Old Testament. It does not speak of it a great deal. And in fact, the Bible gives much more complex answers to the origin of human suffering and human evil. It doesn't just give one answer and one answer alone. Well, there's a related answer we might give that's pretty straightforward. People are just mean and selfish. People are hateful. People uh, are just can do terrible things. Again, there's certainly truth in this. James says so. Book of James, chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So James says, look, I can tell you where wars come from. They come from the human heart. They come from the fact that people are mean, they're selfish, they're greedy, they're hateful, they're divisive, and they fight. It's true of wars on an international level. It's true of wars in a family. It's true of wars in a community. People do have this meanness in them. However, some people would say God is responsible for all the problems we have here on earth. Is that true? People would say, well, look, God is in control. He made the world. God's almighty. If we have all these problems, it's probably God's fault. Well, put in those terms, it's certainly wrong. It's not God's fault in the sense that, you know, he should just see to it that there are no wars, just intervene any time there is one or something like that. However, this is going to surprise you a little bit. In one way, the Bible says... The war that wars are a result of the will of God. That God did something. That God caused divisions in humanity. And out of these divisions, there are wars. We're going to look to a passage that is perhaps very unexpected, a passage you wouldn't think about looking to when you're talking about war. But a very famous passage, the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. 
Genesis 11, 1 to 9, let's read it. And all the earth was of one language and limited vocabulary. And it so happened that as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there, and they said to each other, come on, let's make bricks and heat them with fire. Now, notice it says they were of one language and limited vocabulary. In other words, communication was really easy. Everybody spoke the same language. It was a very basic, simple language. You didn't have to be really smart to speak it. Everybody could communicate with no problems. There were no divisions caused by misunderstanding because we all spoke one language. It says that they wanted to make bricks and heat them with fire. There's a reason for that. In the ancient world, usually bricks were just sun-dried. They just would put them out on a grid and dry them in the sun and then use them. The only thing is those kind of bricks naturally didn't last very long. After a few decades, they would just start to crumble and waste away. So if they wanted to make something really permanent, something that would last for generations, they would use fired brick, brick that had been heated in an oven. And so when they say, let's heat them with fire, they're saying, let's make something permanent. Let's make something that will last. So the passage goes on. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar, and they said, come on, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky, and let us make for ourselves an identity. Let us make an identity for ourselves, or otherwise we will scatter over the face of the whole earth. I want you to notice the three things they want. They want a city, they want a tower, and they want an identity. Could be translated a name. A city a tower and a name or identity. The city, what does that mean? That means one community for everybody. Everybody is going to dwell in one single community. A tower, what does that mean? That's an impressive accomplishment a marvel, a wonder, something that people will look at and say, look what we can do. If we can do that, we can do anything. This is proof of our greatness as a people and an identity or a name. What is the thing by which we will be known? What will we identify with? To put it a little larger, what is the ideology we will all be associated with? What is the flag we will all gather under? What is the emblem we will all pin to our chests? What is the one thing that will make us us? So they want a community. They want a great marvel to prove how powerful they are and they want a name or identity that they can all cling to and say, this tells us who we are. The passage goes on. And the Lord came down the city to see the city and the tower which the sons of Adam had built. And the Lord said, well, they are one people 
And they all have one language. And this is just the beginning of what they will do. And now, nothing that they propose to do will seem impossible to them. I want you to notice, he begins by saying, they are one people and one language. This is not a side issue. This is not a collateral issue. This is the main point. The first thing God notices, they're one people and they have one language. And guess what? God considers that to be a problem. God considers that to be something he needs to fix, something he needs to deal with. And he explains why it's a problem when he says, this is just the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose will seem impossible to them. And we'll get into what that means in just a moment. So the passage goes on. Come on, let's go down and mix up their language there so that they won't understand each other's speech. So the Lord scattered them from there over the face of all the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because the Lord mixed up the language of all the earth and from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of all the earth. Now, you may be wondering, what is the point of saying it's called Babel because there the Lord mixed up the languages? Well, the term for mix up, a Hebrew word that means to mix up or to confuse or to get all jumbled together is Balal. And of course, the name of the town is Babel. So Balal, Babel, they kind of sound alike. It's basically a sort of wordplay. So let's get into this. What is the issue here? What's going on? You think about what the people did. And the first thing I want you to notice is it was a popular act. The text doesn't say anything about it being imposed from above. They said, come on, let us make brick. Let us build a city. Let us build a tower. Let us have a name for ourselves. So it is something they wanted to do. It is something they believed in. It was a very popular idea, and no one forced them to do it. Why? Well, the reason I think is pretty transparent. They say it themselves. They wanted to remain unified. They thought, you know, it's going to be a big problem if we're scattered all over the world. Who knows what could happen if that took place? It'd be so much safer, so much better if we just all clung together. We can watch out for each other. We can support each other. We can all talk to each other. It'll be really good if we just stay together in one place. Now, I want to make clear, I'm not up here making a political speech, but I'm making an analogy here. What they are doing is kind of, in a big way, the ideal of the United Nations. I'm not making a point that we need to abolish the UN or something like that. I'm not concerned about that. But here's the thing. Many people look at something like the UN, and what do they say? They say, you know, it just... 
if we could just abolish all divisions among people, if we could just have one world society, if we could even just have one language and get rid of everything else, it would be one, there would be no more wars. There'd be no more conflict. Everyone would be in harmony. You know, it's kind of like the old John Lennon song, Imagine. Imagine if there's just no more nations. If it was all go away and we could just be one unified people, how glorious that would be. And all our wars, all our conflicts would go away. Against this, the Bible says something that is really surprising and maybe at first even a little offensive, troubling. Human divisions come from God. God is the one who confused their languages, made it to where they can't communicate with each other, and spread across the whole world. There's no doubt that, yes, we're all sinners, we're fallen, we're estranged from God, that is all true, but certainly conflict and lack of mutual understanding comes about because we can't talk to each other. We hear someone speak in a foreign language, and to us it is pure gibberish. It is meaningless. And so when we can't communicate, we can't talk, what do we do? We start to fight. We start to have tribes and nations and rivalries. So really, there really is no question that the division of humanity into all of these nations with literally thousands of languages has caused a lot of division and a lot of conflict. This is not what we would have expected. If you and I were writing the Bible, I don't think that's how we would have explained it. I think we would probably expect the Bible to ascribe this evil to Satan or to human depravity. To say, well, the reason there's all these languages and people are fighting each other is Satan did it. Or people got so mean towards each other, they just stopped talking to each other and they got to where they couldn't understand each other. Something like that. That's how we might explain it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it was a decision of God to separate humanity into all of these different languages so that they scattered across the world. Now, I need to say something very quickly. Some of you may have heard a very common interpretation, and that is the reason God did this is because people had been defying God's command in Genesis 1.28 that people should spread over the whole earth and fill it. Well, there is truth in that. God did want people to spread over the whole earth, and God did want people to fill it. However, the solution seems a little severe. If all God wanted was for people to, you know, spread out and fill the earth to create all these languages and all these divisions and set the stage for endless wars, that seems to be a pretty severe solution to the problem. And of course, even without the, the um, uh, 
confusion of the languages, people would have multiplied and their city would have spread out and gotten bigger and bigger and filled the earth. So, yeah, I think that's kind of part of it, but that's not the real thing. How do I know, absolutely know, that that is not the real reason that God did what he did, that God confused the language because of what God said? God never said, well, we've got to confuse their language so that they will fill the earth. What did God say? Let's remind ourselves. God actually says, well, they're one people and they all have one language and this is just the beginning of what they will do. In other words, God looks at them as a unified people and he sees what they have begun to do, building this tower. And he says, it's not going to stop here. They are going to move from this point and they are going to go further and further and further and they're going to start doing some things that are really terrible. This is just the beginning of what they are going to do as one people with one language. And God goes on and he says, and now nothing that they propose to do will seem impossible to them. Now again, we first read that and we might think, wow, that sounds kind of mean. Like, doesn't God want people to succeed? Doesn't God want people to do impressive things? Why would God want to stop people from, you know, doing great works, having great accomplishments, building great towers and so forth? Well, I would say it's not really the tower itself that is the issue. It is the idea that they have no limits. It is the idea that if we can build this great tower and show what a marvelous, wonderful people we are, how smart we are, how strong we are, there are no limits on us. And we can reframe the world however we want to. We can change the rules. Maybe God made the world in this way, but maybe we don't like it this way. We will do whatever we want. We will be the ones who determine how the world works. Nothing they propose will seem impossible to them. Therefore, God thwarts their unity of purpose that they will together do as they choose. That's what they wanted to do. They were a unified people and they thought we can do anything and God says that is not a good idea. And so God stops it. Now let's think for a moment about why God stopped it. I mean, what is so terrible? We know how terrible war is. We just looked at the pictures from Ukraine. We see how awful it is when people engage in wars. So what is so bad about every, everybody unified, everybody speaking the same language and building a big tower? Well, what are the terrible consequences of the tower ideology? First thing is, no one can escape the, the communal uniformity. Remember what they said? They said, let's build a city. One community. 
and everybody is going to be part of this community. Question, what if you don't like that community? What if you don't like the way it's run? What if you don't like the morals and the ideals that it pushes? Maybe you think that they're doing some things that are bad. Guess what? There's no place else to go. There's only one community, and they will make sure that everybody sticks to the ideals of that one community. Even if democratic, it's still autocratic, state-centered, and all-controlling. Now, remember what the text said. It was very popular decision. Let's do this. We want to make this tower. We want to make this city. It was a popular decision. But even popular decisions, even popular movements can become very controlling. An ideology takes hold or a religion takes hold, some way of looking at the world, and anyone who does not conform is in deep trouble. Remember what they said, let's make an identity for ourselves, a name, the thing by which we will not be known, the thing that makes us who we are. And if you don't hold to that one thing, you're in trouble. I mean, we see a bit of it just very clearly in our day in so-called cancel culture, where there becomes a dominant idea, and if you don't like it, you're in great trouble. You could lose your job, you could be ostracized, you could be kicked out of society because you have the wrong opinion. The marvel that they make deludes people. They think they can do anything they want. God made the world in a certain way. God set the rules. God created it the way he wanted it to be created, and we are to live according to how we made it, how he made it. That's wisdom. If we follow the rules God set, if we live in the way God made the world, we do well. If we go against how God made the world, we're in trouble. But the marvel, the great tower, the wonder, it tells people we can do anything we want. We can remake the world however we want. We can change things as much as we want to change things and just make it to suit ourselves. The unified but fallen world of Babel would steer people away from God and from freedom. Now listen, one thing is clear. Yes, we are a fallen people. Humanity is estranged from God. We come into this world without God, without the knowledge of God, without the life of God in our hearts. And so you put everybody together in one place under one culture which direction do you think it's going to go? Do you think it's going to become more godly? Do you think it's going to tend towards righteousness? Not at all. It is inevitable that it will move in the other direction. A single false religion or ideology then, if everybody were together, if everybody were speaking the same language, 
a single ideology would rule the world and there would be no escaping it. There would be no getting out from under it. It would be all-encompassing and all-controlling. That is the identity, the name. Ultimately, a single ruler would take the place of God. Now, the passage we just read, it doesn't talk about a single ruler. But when you look at history, this is how it always happens. The Romans built their great empire, and then they had deified kings named Caesars. And we can skip through history. You look upon how the French and the French Revolution sought to completely remake how humanity lives and change all the rules, and they wound up with an empire under Napoleon Bonaparte. And it doesn't matter what the ideology is, it always happens. Whether it's Nazism with Adolf Hitler or communism with a man like Mao Zedong, it always leads to this kind of autocracy. The Bible talks about that. What is the ultimate outcome of this human desire for centralization and to control everything and to remake everything? Well, it's called Antichrist. It's called taking upon yourself an identity with the numbers 666. This is the ideal of Babylon, the great harlot and the Antichrist. It's not surprising that this story takes place at Babel, Babylon, because Babylon in the book of Daniel is the first great world empire. What does it try to do? It tries to subdue other peoples and other languages, other religions, bring them under one single head that will control them all and control their thought. And this has proceeded through all the um, empires of the world. And as I already said in Revelation, it comes to its final fulfillment where you have the great beast and Babylon the great harlot. You have the Antichrist. You have the idea that no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast upon them. And this is what the Tower of Babel is all about. So what do we get from this? We get that world peace can come at too high a price. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying war is good. We just looked at those pictures from Ukraine. They're horrible. They're terrible. War is dehumanizing. The Russian soldiers who engage in these kind of things, they are having their humanity destroyed by the things they have done. So no, war is not good. But the ideal of the Tower of Babel the kind of unity that would inevitably come that is too high a price to pay for peace. Now I want to quickly shift gears with you a little bit and talk about a specific example. I want to talk about the example of China, not because China is the worst country in the world, but because at this time they provide a really good example. So what about China? 
Well, look at the screen. We have the Three Gorges Dam. That is the biggest dam by far in the world. Gigantic. And it's only one of many, many, many that the Chinese have built. They have decided that they can remake the entire water system of China. All the rivers, all the lakes, all the estuaries, they can change it all by building all these dams and in their mind make life a lot better for everybody by controlling the water, having power supply and all that kind of thing. Well, just as a quick note, it hasn't worked out real well. China has had a lot of flooding and their dams have, many of them have broken and the damage to the ecology of China has been enormous. Another work in China, the Chinese National Aqueduct System. This is just one picture. So it turns out, in China, the south of China is the rainy region. That's where all the rains come, like down around Hong Kong and all that. The north of China, like Beijing and all that, that's very dry. So they decided, well, look, we'll just pump all the water from the south to the north. And so they built these gigantic aqueducts to shift water from southern China to northern China. Sounds like a great idea. And as you can see, it is a very impressive work. Just to look at all the pictures of it, it is a marvel. It is a wonder to see what they have done. Again, unfortunately, things have not quite worked out the way they intended. They have not really solved the water problem of northern China. And in fact, right now, their water problem is huge. They have a very, very severe pollution problem in their country, and things have not gotten better. Another marvel that the Chinese have built, their high-speed rail. Now, you all know about the bullet trains, like in Japan. Well, China has far and away the largest bullet train system. It's huge. It covers the whole country in terms of track mileage. It dwarfs every other high-speed rail system in the world, which is terrific. You can get anywhere in China quickly on these high-speed rails. The only problem is they weren't really well thought out, and it is losing money in unfathomable figures. It is an incredible money eater with no end in sight. It turns out to be, from a business perspective, a disaster. And then there's Chinese architecture. Now this strange looking building you're seeing is the headquarters of the Chinese national television broadcasting system in Beijing. And as you can see, it is a really weird looking building. You know, what did the people in Babel do? They built a tower that was super impressive. This building, it looks like they're literally trying to defy gravity. Like they're saying, well, there is such a thing as gravity, but we are so technologically advanced, we are so powerful, we can just build a building that disregards gravity. Now, this is a great example of what China is doing. They're building marvels. They're building things that are stunning to look at. They are defying what seems to be humanly possible. And in the course of doing all this, they are seeking to expand and to unify. 
to put everybody under one culture, under one system, using one language, under one central government. And so there's another picture, the Uyghurs. You've all heard of the Uyghurs. They're a Muslim group. The thing is they are an ethnic religion. They are a religion that is closely bound to their ethnicity. And they are, their ethnicity and their religion and their ideology does not align with that of the Chinese Communist Party. So what do the Chinese Communist Party do? It puts them into concentration camps. It commits acts of genocide. It tries to obliterate their culture. Now, of course, again, the Uyghurs are famous because they have this alignment of their religion and their ethnicity. But it's not just the Uyghurs. The Chinese government right now is severely oppressing the Christian church. Why? Because the belief system of these Christians does not align with the ideology of the Chinese Communist Party. So this is the ideal of Babylon. One language, one people, one system, one set of beliefs. And if everybody would just go along with it, it would be great if you could just get them to submit. Now, I don't want to just attack the Russians and the uh, Chinese as if I thought we were all pure. So let's very quickly consider the United States. Very, very quickly. You all know that in... Uh, the, the 20th century, we put men on the moon. I mean, you talk about a marvel. You talk about a wonder. Some, that's better than any tower. We put people on the moon. And I don't know if you remember this, but I heard many, many times when politicians were arguing for something, when they were saying there's some project we've got to get and do, take care of, they always said, if we can put a man on the moon, surely we can do this. We built a marvel. Therefore, we can do anything. Whatever we set our mind to, we're able to accomplish it. And as far as adhering to God's creation order, where are we now? Well, I don't know if you're telling little boys that they can be girls and little girls that they can be boys and that a man can be pregnant and that two women constitutes a marriage. I would say we've decided we can defy God's created order and do whatever we want to do. What is the Tower of Babel and the division of languages really about very quickly? Think for a moment back in history, those of you who can remember it, the Iran-Iraq War, 1980 to 1988. It was a terrible war. Thousands upon thousands of people killed. So again, I'm not saying war is a good thing. War is a horrible thing. But it does illustrate our point. Because, of course, Iran had gone through its Islamic revolution and wanted to spread Islam all around the world, its variety of Islam. The whole world should be subject to Islam as the mullahs have defined it. Well, it turned out the Iraqis were Muslims too, but they weren't Iranians. They were Iraqis. They didn't speak Farsi, the language of Iran. They spoke Arabic. And they didn't want to be 
under the thumb of the Iranians. And the Iranians didn't want to have a power beside them in the Iraqis. So what did they do? They fought. So again, I'm not saying war is a great thing, but the point is this, because they were different, because they spoke different languages, no one is able to impose a single ideology on everyone because all the other groups will say, no, I'm sorry, I don't belong in your group. We come back very quickly to the war against Ukraine. And remember that, that ideology, Ruskimir, Russian peace. So the Russians decided they would, they've expanded into Georgia, they expanded into Chechnya, they had their eye on the Baltic states like Latvia, and they decided the next one needs to be Ukraine. But the Ukrainians said, I'm sorry, we're not Russians. We don't want to speak Russian, we want to speak Ukrainian. We want to have our own system. And so this attempt to have this world empire Everybody under one system fails. Again, is the Ukraine war good? No, it's a horrible thing. But what it basically comes down to, it is truly the lesser of two evils. Better that people should be divided than that we should all be under a single godless ideology. Well, we need to close. We need to ask, is there no hope for unity and peace for humanity? Does God want us forever to be divided, always at each other's throat, always fighting each other? Well, of course, the answer is no. And we've looked at Revelation already. Let's look at it one more time. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So what do we have here? God desires people to be unified too. God wants humanity to be one only he wants us to be one under the truth, not under an antichrist, not under a false god, not under a false ideology. He brings us into a kingdom, but not by conquering the world. He brings us into a kingdom by sending his son to die. He comes to us and shows us his love and gives us forgiveness of sins and opens the path for us to be a kingdom of priests rejoicing before God, the true source of life, the true source of love, the true source of well-being. That is what God offers. And that is the true unity that we should strive for. So, what do we take from this? First of all, Understand that in this world we have tribulation. There will always be wars and rumors of wars. And they're going to keep on happening because the only alternative in this world is for all of humanity to be under a false ideology, a false unity, uh, a dictatorship. But we have hope. 
we know that ultimately these things will pass away. There will come a time that there's no more, peer, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. The old things have passed away because God, the source of life, gives us true unity, true identity, and a true city in the new Jerusalem. We're going to pray in just a moment, but before we do, I want to say one more word about the Ukraine war. This Wednesday night, we're going to have a special presentation where we're going to be looking at some videos, primarily from the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. It's Ukrainian Baptist School, obviously, in Lviv, uh, Ukraine. And I think if you come and you watch this, first of all, I think your hearts will be broken. I have rarely seen anything that moved me as much as what, I have, as what I have seen in these videos. You will see the humanity, the compassion, the perseverance, the faith of these Baptists as they give up everything to minister in a time of war and crisis. And so if you want to both face the ugliness of war but also have some joy and some encouragement in what your brothers and sisters are doing in Ukraine, I would strongly appeal to you to be here on Wednesday night. But let's close with prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, and we pray that you will continue to speak to our hearts. We pray that as we consider these things, we will simply have faith in you, that you govern the world wisely, where to us it seems to be out of control, and that you bring us safely home. So now, Father, watch over us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.